the Lord. Welcome tonight. Welcome those of you that have joined us online. This is our Wednesday night prayer meeting. Um, I just have a sense that uh, it's time to begin to change the focus of what we do on Wednesday nights. And I'll share more of about, about that with you later on. But I just thought it was significant what we sang tonight because I just have a sense of beginning to spend some time teaching on healing and then ministering healing. It's, healing is an integral part of the gospel. But in, in many of our churches, and, we, and this has been what, something we've done, we've neglected it. And it's time, I believe, to, to, to wipe the dust off of what the Bible says about healing. And there's other things we'll do for prayer. We're not giving up on prayer, of course. Prayer is so essential. But at least tonight and when, next Wednesday night, we're going to still have our prayer meeting and then I'll tell you what we're going to do um, uh, going forward. I want to, each time we do this, at least when I share on, on Wednesday nights, I want to, my heart is to encourage us in prayer, to give us confidence, because that's really the thing that's lacking so often in, in the results in prayer. We'll talk more about that tonight. But the main scripture we've used through all of this is in James chapter 5. They're not going to put it up there. Where, where James says in the end of his discussion about praying for the sick, in James 5, he says, for the effectual, that's effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, that's all of us that are in Christ, avails or accomplishes much. God's plan is that our prayers should accomplish much. Not a little, not hope maybe something's going to happen, or as I've described so many times, at least sometimes in my prayer life it's been like this, and I suspect in many of ours, it's kind of like, especially when we come together as a group, we take those needs and we just kind of, in prayer, just kind of throw them up and hope he grabs some of them or something sticks and something changes. And we're going to see, first of all, it is God's will to answer our prayers. It is God's desire to answer our prayers. In fact, it's beyond that I've taught this. God needs us to pray so that he can do in the lives of people, in the church, in our community, and in this nation, what he already wants to do. But there's some requirements for that. It's not just launch into prayer and open our mouth and just say whatever comes to mind or whatever we've read from somebody else. The Bible teaches us some conditions or, or um, foundations for our prayer. And I want to spend just a little bit of time tonight looking at this. This is something that those of you that have been around for long and most of you here have. Uh, these are all things you've heard before. But as we heard on Sunday, sometimes we need to be put in remembrance of things that we've already learned and if if you don't, I do, so you can just, just listen in. The book, beginning of this book, the Apostle James, who was Jesus' half-brother, he's writing to believers that were going through a difficult time, not unlike what we face right now. In fact, in many ways it was worse. They were being persecuted, and they were going through different trials and tests, which means basically trouble. And he's talking here in the beginning about how to go through difficult times. And he says, first of all, that we are to rejoice because the, 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 the trials that we go through, if we'll exercise our faith, produce something. They produce steadfastness or, or patience. But then in verse 5, he begins to talk about prayer. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and that's something that we often lack and don't realize we lack. If we had God's wisdom, we would know what to do. And many times when we're asking God to do something, God's answer is going to be to give you wisdom so that you will know what to do in that situation. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him, here's prayer, ask of God. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say to go to social media and begin to ask people what to do. Notice he doesn't say call up sister so-and-so or brother doodad and ask them what do they think. Because if they give you what they think, you're getting the best of their thinking. Why would we do that when we have a direct line to a God who knows 
exactly what we need. And not only does he know it, he's put his own spirit in us to communicate that wisdom to us. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So this is prayer. Notice this is, he's going to tell us some things about this God we're asking. And that's very important because we need to understand that the confidence that we need before, in order to pray, is things we need to know about this God to whom we're asking. So the first thing we know, need to know is this God, who he's telling us to come and ask, gives to all liberally. God is generous. God is generous in the wisdom that he'll give. God is generous in the things he will do for us. This is part of renewing our mind to who this God is because religion tries to tell us that God's sitting in heaven and we have to, we have to convince him to kind of meet out to us what we need and he doesn't want to give us too much because we may not be able to handle it. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he gives to all, that includes you, liberally. One of my favorite scriptures, I've gotten, been healed with this scripture, is Romans 8.32, which says that if he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also together with him freely give us all things? In other words, God's attitude is whatever I have, I'm willing to give it to you. And if I didn't hold my own son back, why do you think I would hold anything else back that I have for you? First Corinthians chapter 2, uh, around verse 9 and 10, talks about how, this, how the, there are things that we have not yet seen that God has for us. But the Spirit of God has been given to us to search out the heart of God and reveal them to us. So God's not holding things back. If it's wisdom that you need tonight, if it's an answer you need, maybe it's about a situation in your family, maybe it's about what to do with those kids you've got, maybe it's about your job or your income, maybe it's about a decision that you've got to make. You have available to you tonight the infinite wisdom and the infinite knowledge of Almighty God available who wants to give you his wisdom and share it with you. But we have to ask. That's the first condition. We have to ask. James chapter 4, he says, you have not for a very simple reason, because you ask not. I've had God deal with me sometimes about saying, well, why can't we do this? And why can't we find this person to do that? And the Lord says to me, you have not because you've asked not. You haven't asked me. You're trying to work it out, figure out what to do, figure out the solution. Just think about how many times, I'm not sure I want to think about this, <laughs> how many times we get all worked up and maybe anxious trying to figure out what are we going to do to solve this problem? Where is the answer to this? And we may, not get, lose, we may lose sleep at night trying to figure out with this little tiny bit of gray matter located between our two ears that has very limited knowledge, very limited understanding, when we have available offering to give us his wisdom, Almighty God, who gives to us, put it back up there, please, who gives to all, that includes you, liberally, And without reproach. In other words, you can't ask God a dumb question. Because compared to God's intelligence, it's all dumb. <laughs> We're all dumb. We're all stupid. God, no, God already knows that. And he will not up, up reproach you. He won't criticize you. He won't say, look, you've, you, you should have asked for this before. He won't say, look, you've asked for this 15 times. When are you going to get it, dummy? He doesn't do that. He is infinitely patient. He wants you to come to him and ask him for the wisdom that you need. And notice the simple promise. If we come to him and ask, 
it will be given to you. It will be given to you, to him. Verse 6, but here's the foundation. It's not a condition in the sense that God has a checklist and goes through, well, did you meet this condition? Yeah. Did you meet this condition? Yeah. Did you meet this? No, not yet. Well, I'm going to hold it back until they meet this condition. No, this is the foundation by which we receive from God. So James is explaining what it takes in order to receive the wisdom that God wants to give to you already. So this is not talking God into doing something. God's telling us he wants us to do this. This is, this is the foundation of what it takes in order to receive from God. And this applies to all, all, all questions, all, all prayer. But let him ask in faith. And we're going to talk about what that means tonight. With no doubting. For he who doubts, this is why doubting is fatal to prayer. He who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the winds. Just keep it there for a second. So you give this image. that The, the, the word doubt is a Greek word which literally means to be of two different minds. Which means at one moment I believe God's going to answer the prayer. The next moment I see something that looks like he didn't and I begin to believe he's not going to answer the prayer. And we go back and forth between yes, he's faithful, but I don't see the answer. And that's double-mindedness. And notice what he says. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. We were down uh, Monday on my day off. We went down to the beach near where we live, and it was a very windy day. And it was blowing the wind in towards the beach. And, and the, the wind was tossing those waves, so there was spray. And the waves, listen to carefully, the waves were at the mercy of the wind. It was very unstable. It would not have been a safe time, even if it were warm enough, to go swimming in there. And there were two crazy guys out there with these, with these sails, trying to, trying to, and, and they were just, one of them guy was real struggling because the wind would take them. So what James is saying here is when we doubt, so the contrast to faith is a double mind, having two minds about the same thing. And James is teaching us, the Holy Spirit through James, that when we are double-minded, we are like the wind. It's blown, the waves blown around by the wind. So the wave, a wave, if it's, if it's calm, the wave represents stability. You stay in one place. But when the wind whips up, that's what was happening with these two guys out on these, whatever they're called, with these, you've seen the big sail things and they're on like a ski board or something and they get, one of them is way out in the middle of the bay. And they're, they, they're going, it's taking them off. And so when we are of two minds, this is telling us we are unstable. Wherever the wind blows, that's where our mind, or wherever the circumstances are, that's where our mind will go. So let's go to the next verse. Let that, not, that man not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Notice it, what it does not say. It does not say, notice that the Lord will not give anything to that man. It says that man cannot receive anything from the Lord. So the, what faith does, faith does not get God to do anything. Faith positions us to receive God's answer to our prayer. And when we're double-minded, when we doubt, we are unstable, so we don't remain in the position that it takes in order to receive that answer. There's a great example of this. None of this was in my notes. There's a great example of this when, when Jesus sends his disciples across the sea and he stays up 
uh, on the shore and prays. And then he comes walking on the water to them in the middle of a storm. And I'm told on the Sea of Galilee, these are not at all uncommon. And when they come up, they come up very quickly. And they can be very violent for, for a short period of time. And Jesus is coming onto them, coming to them. It's nighttime. And he's coming to them on the water, walking on the water in a storm. And they see him coming and they're afraid, obviously, because they're not used to seeing men walking on the water and they think he's a ghost. And they cry out and Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's, uh, it's me. Literally in the Greek it says, I am. He's identifying himself. And Peter says, if it's you, here's the prayer, bid me to come. Jesus' answer to Peter's prayer is come. And in that word come is the divine power of God that can cause Peter to walk on the water in the middle of a storm. And now Peter does the other part, which we won't have time to get in tonight, is, is Peter now has to act on the word that Jesus has given him. And he steps down out of the boat and Peter is walking on the answer to that prayer. Peter is walking on the water. And on that water, in the middle of a storm, with the waves splashing around him and the wind blowing, Peter is stable. He's safe and he is secure because he is single-minded on Jesus and on the word come. Jesus gave an answer and that word was come. And as long as Peter is single-minded about that word come, Peter can do what's not possible for man, but with God is possible. And God wants to call us up to begin to do things which are not possible for man, but which are possible for God, because in these last days, the world out there needs to see that God is real, that God is powerful, and that God cares about them. And that's only going to happen through the church getting out of the boat and walking on the water in answer to Jesus' words, whatever those words may be to you. But unfortunately, that's not the end of the story. Somewhere in his walk to Jesus on the water, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and his heart off the word come and with his eyes, he began to look at the waves. Put verse 5 up again. That's verse 6. It's like the wave of the sea driven and tossed. He who doubts. So Peter is now beginning to look away from Jesus at the waves. And now his mind is focused on two different things. Jesus says you can walk on the water. The waves say you can't. And Peter is now caught between these two words. Jesus says you can. The wave says you can't. Jesus says you can. The wave says you can't. Jesus says you can. The wave says you can't. And Peter is now becoming double-minded. And the moment he does that, the Bible says he begins to sink. The divine connection between the word of God spoken in answer to that prayer and the manifestation of that answer all hinges on whether Peter can stay single-minded on what Jesus' answer to the prayer is. And of course he doesn't. So here James is teaching us you can ask anything of God that's within the, in the scope of his will, and it's a huge scope, and he will give it to you liberally. And he's talking specifically here in the beginning about wisdom, but it becomes clear now he's talking about anything. So the reason faith is essential is faith is being single-minded that what God says is true and will come to pass. Verse 7 now. Let that, not man, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything 
from the Lord. Verse 8. He is, an un, he is a double-minded man. Look at this. Unstable in all his ways. So when we doubt, when we pray, we've asked God something that we know is God's will, because it's according to his word, and we ask it, and then we, we begin to let, because doubt will try to get in. Doubt is like a pressure of this world and there are spirits that are behind it that will try to get doubt into your mind through your five senses, through thoughts that will come to you. The devil will tell you, look, you, you know, this person prayed and they didn't get this answer. You prayed this before and you didn't get this answer. Every one of those is a fiery dart intended to see if you will let doubt into your mind and then eventually into your heart. Because Satan knows if he can get you to doubt, then you become double-minded, and when you're double-minded, you become unstable in all your ways. That's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. Chapter 3 of Genesis, he comes in, and what is he trying to get them to do? He's trying to inject just a little bit of doubt about what God said. Has God said, if you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will die? Has God really said that? And and what did he really mean about that? Satan was trying to inject doubt into their mind, and he succeeded. And the moment they started doubting God's word, they became unstable in all their ways, and we've been living with the results of it ever since. All right, let's move on. Let me give you an example of this. Over in Mark chapter 6, interesting story. It's the story of, of Jesus coming back to his own hometown. And, and, and he's preaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they're not receiving who he is because they're saying, we know him. There's nothing special about him. We watched him grow up. This is Joseph and Mary's son. I mean, this is the little boy. We saw him out playing with the other kids. We watched him apprentice under his father. Oh, we know him. He's a good boy. And now he's claiming to be the Messiah. Nah, we know him. And so look at the result of that. In verse 5. And now he, this is Jesus, the Son of God. Look at this. It says, he could do no mighty work there. He wanted to, but it was not possible. See, people think, you know, God can do anything he wants. But with man, it requires some things for God to do that. He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people. And the implication there in the Greek is minor illnesses and healed them. So here is the unbelief of his hometown that prevented him from doing there the mighty works that he wanted to do for them. So what we believe has a lot to do with what we're able to receive when we pray. So James talks about doubting. Doubt what? Doubting What? Well, it's doubting God's willingness to do what we're asking him to do. So let's go to to John chapter 11. Let's take a look at Jesus' confidence. Now, understand this. I said it's in the beginning. John 11. Jesus is coming... The background here is Jesus has, has, uh, has heard that his, his good friend Lazarus is very sick and most likely sick unto death, and he's been ministering somewhere else. And he gets word, and, and the disciples say, we ought to go, and Jesus said, no. And he waits. I think it was four days he waited. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. Now, that may seem unfeeling, and, and, and as if Jesus was calloused towards Lazarus' need. 
But understand this. Jesus only did what his Father told him to do through the Holy Spirit. And we don't have the record of this, but in all likelihood, he did not sense that he was, to go. He was being obedient to the Holy Spirit who was not telling him to go and minister to Lazarus. There's a lesson in this. A lot of times we hear a need or we get a text of something and we need to pray for this right away so we drop everything and we just start throwing prayers at it. Jesus didn't do that. He listened inside and found out what he was supposed to do. If we just react every need, it dawned on me one day, if all I'm doing is running around and reacting to needs around me, then it dawned on me one day, who's leading me? I use the example, it's like putting out fires. So for instance, suppose I find out there's a fire over here, and it's, it's, a, it's a need somebody has. And so I go and I get water and I put this fire out, and I find, oh, there's a fire over here. And I go and get water and I put this fire, oops, here's a text, there's a fire over here, I better put this fire out. And the next time I'm running around putting fires out, well, guess who's leading me? The one who's starting the fires. Jesus only responded to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And if we'll learn to do that, you will find there's much more confidence in your prayers because you know God is telling you to pray in that situation. So, that's the background here. Jesus now shows up. Lazarus is dead. His two sisters, Mary and Martha, are very upset. And Jesus comes out, and he's wept. And now he comes out, and and he tells them, that, that, that to pull the stone away. And, and they're upset. They said, he, by now it's four days. He's been in there four days. Of course, if you'd have come here on time, that wouldn't have happened, but you didn't. Okay, but he's in there four days. He's going to begin to stink if we roll the stone away. So they took the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes. Now Jesus is going to pray. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, he hasn't said anything yet. He hasn't prayed yet. But this shows us, well, go on to the next verse. No, no, stop there. Go back a second. Notice the, Father, I thank you, he hasn't prayed yet, that you have already heard me. This is the confidence that Jesus had. Now, remember, confidence comes not from ourselves. Confidence comes to the when we begin to know who it is we're going to, who we're praying to, who it is that we're asking. We've already seen that he's generous. He's listening. He will not criticize you no matter how stupid your request is. He will not, he will give to you liberally. He's not holding anything back. The only thing is we have to believe that he's answering us when we pray. That's the condition. I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42. Because I know, this is what Jesus knew about his Father. Be good to ask yourself the same question. Do I have this same confidence? Look at what Jesus says. I know that you always hear me. Do you have that same confidence? Because if you do, it will change how you pray. I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. So what Jesus is basically doing is, I'm going to say this out loud so they'll know you're the one that's about to do this. But I don't normally do that. So Jesus had this confidence, confidence in his Father, that A, his Father hears him, and B, that he has what he's asked his Father. Now let's go to the main scripture on prayer of faith. Let's go to Mark eleven twenty-three. Jesus now teaching his disciples how to pray. By the way, the way Jesus prayed 
in John 11 and at the tomb of Lazarus is he didn't ask God to do anything. He spoke in the authority God had given to him to that dead body to come forth, and it came forth. The background here is Jesus, this is during the Holy Week that we're celebrating this week. Jesus is on his way back into Jerusalem. And the day before going by, he had gone to eat figs off of the fig tree and there were no figs there. And he cursed it. He just said, let no man eat fruit of you ever again. Now he's coming back the next day and this tree has withered from its roots up. And Peter stops him and says, Master, look at the tree you've withered, that's withered. You prayed and basically you got an answer to your prayer. He's astonished. Notice, it's Jesus had already passed by the tree. Jesus was not astonished that the tree had died. He was not astonished that his prayer was answered. And so now Jesus sees this as a teaching moment. Because they're basically asking him, how do you get your prayers answered? And so Jesus teaches them this. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... So notice, prayer can sometimes be not talking to God but using the authority God's given us to talk to the circumstances. That's prayer. Because Jesus is praying here. The church needs to learn this. We've been given an authority that's just not used. Or if it's used, it's not used correctly in many cases. Jesus, in this case, is teaching his disciples, for whosoever shall... Notice the word whosoever... So it doesn't just include those 12 disciples. You're a whosoever. I'm a whosoever. So this is open to anybody that will do it. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, and he picked a mountain because it was the biggest obstacle around, be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and look at the cognition, this goes back to the first thing we said, and does not doubt where in his heart, not his head, It's not what's in your head that's critical. It's what gets into your heart. This is why Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues or the outflow of life, spiritual life, faith, love, but also the negative things flow out of it. Fear, doubt. So Satan's constantly trying to sow into our hearts doubt, just the suggestion of doubt. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he said will be done, he will have what he says. Mark 20, verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, whatever you ask when you pray, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So the order is here. When you pray at that moment, you're to believe that you've already got it, even though you can't see it yet, and then you shall have it. So under this verse, our responsibility is to ask. Our responsibility is to not doubt when we ask, but believe that it's already ours. Why? Because God's faithful. He heard us. I know you always hear me when I pray. Because we have confidence that God hears us because of His character, not our goodness. See, a lot of times we don't have confidence because we know ourselves. But God's asking us not to have confidence in ourselves, but to have confidence in Him, the one who's told us to come and to ask Him. So when you pray, believe that at that point, you've received it, it's yours. This is where faith comes in, because you can't see it yet. But you can believe it, because it's God's character and God's word, and then you will have them. The will have is God's part. Our part is to believe. God's part is to make sure that it happens. And I'll end with one more verse. Go back. This is in 1 John chapter 5. These verses tie together. Why can we believe that we've received it when we've asked? 1 John chapter 5. Because this is the confidence that we have. Notice in Him. None of these verses talk about confidence in us. The devil will tell you, why would God answer your prayers? Why would God answer your prayers? You haven't been reading your Bible as faithfully as you should. Maybe you haven't been doing this. You're not doing this. You're not as good as this person. You're not faithful at this. It's all focused on you and what you're not doing and why God shouldn't answer your prayers because of you. None of these verses talk about you. 
They all talk about God's character, God's nature. The only thing it says about you is to not doubt Him. This is the confidence that we have in Him. This was the confidence Jesus had in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will. Well, Pastor, there's the problem. I don't know if it's according to His will. Well, God gave us a book to tell us what His will is. And it's very broad. It's very broad. If we ask anything that's according to His will... He hears us. So when you're praying for someone that's sick, it is His will. We're going to learn that when we talk about healing. It is His will to heal them. When you ask for wisdom, you know it's His will because He told you to come and ask. Anything He's told you to ask for, you know that's His will. He's telling you, come and ask me. I had him one night, it was about one in the morning, I was praying over a situation. This is years ago, and I know right where I was praying. Everybody was asleep, and I'm pacing the floor, praying in the Spirit. And I began to say, God, I just, and the Lord said to me, he took me to the verse in Matthew 7, he said, ask and you'll receive. And I heard this so clearly. Son, why would I tell you to ask if I don't intend to answer? And I began to see his character. He's telling me to ask. He's not telling me to ask to frustrate. In fact, Jesus goes on and says that, would your father, if you ask your father for a loaf of bread, would he give you a rock? If you ask your father for a fish, would he give you a snake instead? If you, being evil, meaning not compared to God, know how to give good gifts to your children. In other words, if your child asks you for something, you're not going to play games with him or her and give him something else. How much more will your father give you what you ask? So he's telling us, ask because he wants to give you what you ask. But see, religion doesn't teach us this. It tells you you've got to kneel, you've got to stand, you've got to cross yourself, you've got to do all these things so that God's going to hear you. Yeah, all you've got to do is believe he hears you. Put that up back up again. This is the confidence that we have. If we ask anything, anything that's according to his will, he hears us. Look at verse 15. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have, not will have, we now have the petitions that we've asked of him. That's why when you pray, you can believe you've received it because you know that if you've asked in accordance with his will, he's heard you. And if he's heard you, you have it. Whether you see it now or not, you have it. He's given it to you. I've used this example before, and those of you that are grandparents will understand this, especially when our grandkids were smaller. They could come and ask their grandmother for anything, and they knew if they asked her, they had it. Because her heart was to give them whatever they desire. That's part of the blessing of grandparents. You can spoil your grandkids and send them home. But, you know, if you're in a store, you know, they know if they ask her for something, they're going to get it. And our grandkids are great that way. They're very careful and responsible for that. But that's the heart of my wife towards her grandchildren. That's mine too. But even so much more is our Father's heart towards us, especially if you're asking for wisdom of how to handle a situation. So this is the confidence that we have. So we're going to do what we're going to do right now is, is I just because I felt the Lord telling me early on, before we get into some of the other things we're going to pray for, I want us to take a few moments right now and just be quiet. Those of you online, this, you're not a spectator. And, and I want you to think about, and maybe even ask God to show you, what it is that right now in your life, it may be a personal life, it may be your family, it may be in a situation that you're dealing with at work, where, what, what situation do you need God's wisdom for? And, and you may notice it because it may be something you've been struggling with, you've been sweating over, You've been anxious about You've been losing sleep over. And you've asked a bunch of people. And now we're going to come and we're going to ask God for wisdom. Because the God we're going to ask knows exactly what you need to know. And he wants to answer you. But we must ask in faith. So we're going to ask him first of all, Lord, right now, I believe this is what you've told me to do right now is we're, gonna, we're asking you 
to show us where we need wisdom because sometimes we don't even know we need the wisdom. And so, Lord, help us right now. So just take a few moments and begin to identify that. We thank you that the wisdom that you have is exactly what we needed, exactly at the right time. So now, Father, by faith we come to you and we ask you to give us your wisdom in this situation. And now we thank you because you're faithful. We've asked according to your will and therefore we know that you've heard us. And if we know that you've heard us, we know that we have now the answer. And so we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let me tell you what you need to do now. If you believe you've received something, you're going to look for it. You're going to expect it. You're going to expect it to come. Don't try to figure out where it's going to come from. God may just speak it to you. Sometimes I get it through something I hear from somebody else or something I read. I needed an answer to something the other day. I was struggling with something. And I just asked the Holy Spirit. I said, I don't know what to do in this situation. This is kind of where I'm stuck somewhere and I need a way out. And I just felt led to turn to a particular scripture. And it wasn't even about that issue. But as I read the scripture, the first verse and the last verse I read spoke exactly to the situation. It was God's wisdom for what I, I knew. I didn't like it, but it was God's wisdom. So the first thing is you need to expect that he's going to answer you. But don't, don't determine where it's coming from. So it's kind of a nice adventure. Where am I going to find it? Look for it. Second thing is don't limit what it could be. Don't dismiss it and say, well, that's too big. That couldn't be God. Or I don't want to do that. That's what my reaction was. It was something he told me to do I didn't want to do. But it was clearly God's answer to me. So I have to make the adjustment in my heart. All right, that's your I'm willing. Otherwise, it's hard for me to receive something I don't want to do. And then you rest. You rest because you, he will give you that answer. It may be tonight. It may be when you wake up tomorrow morning. It may be a few days from now. It may come in pieces. I can't tell you how it's going to come, but we've asked in faith, so we need to expect it. And then the second thing is, third thing is, and not allow doubt in our hearts. It's so critical that we learn to develop a real prayer life with God not just here, not just in the morning, but you learn to talk things over with him. If you're a Christian, he's your father. He's put his spirit in you to lead you into truth, to give you his wisdom. So we need to apply. And I, I, I don't have time tonight to go into it. I've told it a number of times here before. I have, I have had God give me wisdom as a lawyer in the middle of a trial that turned the whole thing around. I mean Dramatically because he exposed something I had no idea was going on. Nobody else knew anything was going on except the other side. And the Lord told me out of the blue to ask a question that made no sense to me. And it exposed exactly what was going on. That's the wisdom of God. But I had to ask him expecting to get an answer. So I've watched God do it in very practical little things in life. And that's a good way to start. All right, so now we're going to pray for the things that, that we pray for before, and there's a couple of specific things that I want, to, I want to pray for. So we're going to start by praying for our leaders because the Bible tells us to pray for our leaders and those who are in leadership and authority so that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. And we're living in a time right now where the quiet and peaceable life of a church is being threatened from a number of sources, and most of you are aware of what they are. And we want to run out and do all kinds of things, and, and they may be right things to do. But one of the things the Bible tells us to do is to pray for our leaders, and then God's promised that he will make sure we lead a quiet and peaceable life. Doesn't, he doesn't tell us to like them. doesn't tell us to agree with them. He doesn't tell us to vote for them or vote against them. He just says pray 
for them. And as I shared with you many times before, when, when this letter was written, this is Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, Nero, one of the vilest of all the emperors of Rome, was the king at the time. And God told Paul to tell Timothy to have people pray for him. So, Father, we come right now and we pray for those that are in leadership and authority in our lives out of obedience to you. And we pray for our president, Father. We pray for him because regardless of whether we like him or like what he's doing or don't like what he's doing, he is, he is the one that has been given the authority now. And you care for his soul. For you go on to say in, in the letter to Timothy, Lord, because it's your desire that all men be saved. So it is your desire, Father, for his soul. And so we pray for his soul. We pray, Father, that you would bring people across his path, maybe even in the White House, Lord, that know you and would know what to say at the right time. We pray for the Holy Spirit to prepare for him. And we pray for you to change the heart of a king where it needs to be changed in accordance with your will. And we pray that you would open the eyes of his understanding to see the hope of your calling for his life that is in Christ Jesus, Father, for your will to be done in that White House, for your kingdom to come into that White House. We pray for the leaders of our Congress, our Senate, and our House, for these same things for them, Father, that you would open their eyes to see that Christ is their Lord, that it needs to be their Lord. We open their eyes to recognize that the authority that they're exercising has not come from the people, it's not come from the government, it's come from you. And it has been given to them. And they will be given an accountability back to you for how they exercise it so that they may learn the fear of the Lord. We pray for the grace and wisdom that they need to carry out the responsibilities that you've given to them. We pray for our local governors, for Governor Baker, Governor of Massachusetts, and Governor McGee, Governor of Rhode Island, for wisdom and grace and understanding, Father, to guide them and direct them so that they can fulfill the purpose for which you've placed them there. We pray for our sister Nicole, Lord, who you placed in a position of great prominence and responsibility in the state of Rhode Island to oversee the health care, especially through this difficult time. We pray for her, Father, that you would continue to strengthen her and encourage her for the grace that she needs and the wisdom that she needs that I know she asks for. And we join ourselves together with her. We ask you to keep her and protect her from the spiritual forces that would try to come against her and work against her, that she stay strong spiritually. We thank you that you give her the grace to be strong as a wife and as a mother, and for peace in that family and joy in that family. Father, thank you. We pray for the spiritual leaders in this area, pastors, Father, especially, that are overseeing people's lives, souls of people that you have entrusted them. And especially as we face and deal with all these difficult issues that are coming at us from, from left and right, Father, from social justice issues to, 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 to attacks on the freedom for religion to perversions that are being brought into our school system and forced upon us. Father, these men and women of God would have your grace to stand strong, your grace to stay close to you and to seek and receive the wisdom that they need for their particular congregations of how you would have them lead them, encourage them, Father, strengthen them, help them develop strong relationships with one another, Father, to encourage one another. We seek, Father, tonight your wisdom here in this congregation for decisions that must be made going forward, for decisions here about how to handle and to respond to all these issues. We come to you, Father, and pray for this Sunday. Here and all the other churches in this area, Lord, where people will be tuned more than maybe any other time, even maybe than Christmas. They'll be tuned, Father, to hear something that's religious, and there'll be an openness that maybe they do not normally have. We pray, Father, for everyone, Lord, that needs to come here Sunday and come and listen Sunday, and not just here, but to the other churches also, Father, in this area, wherever they may come, and that they would hear the gospel, they would hear the truth, they would hear the gospel of your love for us, the gospel of how far you came, and the victory that's been won through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, we trust the Holy Spirit as only he can, 
to take the words of these men and women of God and the words that will be spoken here and to prepare the hearts of people, Lord, whether they come physically or they come online, Lord, that there will be an anointing of your Spirit, Lord, to make real what Jesus has done for us and the desperate need that we have for him in our lives and for our lives in his hands. We thank you for that. Father, we come tonight to pray for this next generation that's under a massive assault, a satanic assault against their sexuality, against their identity, against their future, their hope for a future. And Satan has so many avenues to reach at them through media, through, through social media, through their phones, through their conversations with one another. And Father, it can seem absolutely overwhelming to us of how it can be turned around. But we pray for your spirit. Father, we pray for your spirit to begin an awakening among the youth. There are strong youth in this church. There are strong youth in other churches. There are movements already among the youth in this nation and in other parts of the world. And we pray to, for you to pour your spirit out upon that generation, Lord, that there would be an awakening as there has been in other awakenings starting in the young people that would spread to their parents and to the older folks. And we pray, Father, tonight, for children and grandchildren that have been raised in this church, children and grandchildren of people that are part of this community and part of this fellowship, that you would open the eyes of their understanding, Father, that they would remember things that they've learned, they would hear things that, the, that they've been taught, Lord, and those especially that have, have received Christ and the Spirit of God is in them and He's dormant, that He would bring back to their recollection things that they've heard. We pray that you bring labors across their path, Father. Whether it's in school, in college, or wherever, it may be out on the streets. There may be some that tonight are lost and they're out on the streets. And you can find them where they are tonight. And you can reach them and touch their hearts. Father, I know of stories where you've reached them in holding cells in federal prisons. Of where you've reached them in unreachable places where you've come to where they are. And you can do that if we'll cry out to you for that. We pray for the parents. We pray for the grandparents. We pray for the uncles and aunts. We pray for the relatives, Lord, that are part of this body that have been standing and praying for that generation, for their children and grandchildren, that you would encourage them, Father. Help them to keep strong when they get weary and tempted to be weary. Help them to stand strong and to not doubt and not let doubt in, but to recognize that the battle is the Lord's and we stand and we will not give up. Give us a steadfast spirit, Lord, in prayer, that we will lay hold of you and not let go until we see the answer come. For prayers are never wasted. Prayers are never wasted. They always go forth. They always go forth into the spirit realm to accomplish what we send them to do when they go forth in faith. And your word in turn encourages us to never give up to never quit, to never be discouraged in prayer because you always hear our prayers. And whether the answer may seem delayed, it's come when we've cried out to you. And so we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for we pray now for, for the events that are, that are to come up, for Brian Sumner coming in another week. Lord, we pray that you would draw some young people to hear his testimony and to hear the, the change that God brought about in this man's life and to help people identify with him. We thank you for how you've used him mightily among young people before. And we pray that you would draw them here. We pray for the women's meeting that's coming up, Lord, that you would help the women to come together and to make a true connection together. Lord, we've, we've heard great teaching before, and that's wonderful, but this is a time when the body needs to connect together. We thank you for the small groups that are meeting even tonight and that we'll meet again next week, Father. And we thank you for the bonds that are being formed in them. And we pray, Lord, that that, that, would, become, that would continue to grow and we would continue to see our, our need for one another and to connect with one another. And we pray for what Jesus prayed for, for his church. Lord, that we may be one. 
There are many differences in this church as there are in many. But we are one body. And we look differently. We have different gifts, different functions, different points of view. But we all have one thing in common. We have the same spirit that lives in us. And he is the spirit of unity. And he is the spirit of Christ that's in us. And we ask that Holy Spirit to draw us together in unity. As you do to heal a marriage, bring healing here. Where there's divisions, Lord, where there's hurts, where there's discouragement, where, there's, where there are people that feel second class and others that, that aren't listening, help us to listen to one another, to truly love one another as Christ has called us to, and to truly see we really are one body and how much it behooves us, how much it helps us to come together in that unity. And teach us how to die to ourselves because there's parts of us that will have to die in order for us to come together in that unity and experience that newness of life that comes as we walk together in Christ. Father, the things we've come to you tonight in the natural mind can see almost impossible. But with you, all things are possible, especially by the Holy Spirit. And so we just thank you for these things. We thank you again, Father, but the things that we each asked you for wisdom for, we thank you, Father, that we have that wisdom because we know you've heard us and we've asked in accordance with your will. And for these things we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Before we close, uh, we always want to take an opportunity. Again, I know I can't see everybody here, but I'm certain that the people here are, are people that have come before. But maybe you're watching tonight, you just stumbled across this, or you've been watching for a while, and, 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 and you don't know for certain that you have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're like me, you were, you were raised in church, and I was taught to believe from a small child. I remember my grandmother sitting me on her knee and reading the Gospels to me. I still have that little New Testament that she gave me years and years ago. She's been gone a long time ago. So I knew that Jesus was the Son of God. I knew that he died to pay for our sins. I knew those things in my mind. I knew, I knew them. But I didn't realize until I was in my 30s that that wasn't enough. That I had to ask this Christ who was alive, who was real, to come in into my life, to receive him into my life and receive him as the one that paid for my sins. See, it's personal. He died for the sins of the world and that includes you. But you only receive the benefit of it when you receive it personally. He's a gift from God the Father to receive him personally into your life. And he wants to come in because he himself says in the book of Revelation, behold, and I believe tonight that's true, I'm standing at the door of your heart knocking. If you'll just open the door, I want to come in. And I want to begin to live inside of you and give you a hope and bring a new life in you and a sense of, 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 of that your sins are forgiven, a sense that you've been made right with God and a sense that you are God's child, not just a creation. That's what he wants to do tonight. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that. You don't have to do anything special. He's done all the work. All you need to do is receive the free gift and we receive that as we talked earlier tonight. We receive that by faith. So I want to help you tonight. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. All you have to do is mean it as best you can. That's all you can do. That's all God asks for you to do. And he will do the other part. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I'm going to ask all of us to join me here tonight. Say this with me. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought, whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus.
Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. It's that simple.